The struggle is fine. Hi, Mary Kate. Hey, Laura. What's going on? You know, I'm just at home in a snowstorm like you are. (laughs) Same, 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 same. I have a heating pad on me right now (laughs) because I'm so cold. I've got a glass of red wine. So we're similarly old women just being around. Yeah. So, well, that brings us to where we are right now. This is a podcast called The Struggle is Fine about where myself, Mary-Kate Kelly, and my partner, Laura Murley, two historically spread-thin comedians, tried <laughs> to hone their creative goals while holding each other accountable. Yeah. I just gave a thumbs up as if you guys could see it, but you can't. <laughs> Unless <laughs> <laughs> this is, becomes a Zoom clip. Yeah. So how was your week, Laura? It was horrible but it was also good okay because my my gut reaction knee-jerk reaction is I want to say it was terrible because I didn't do any of my freelance work that actually gets me paid but then I remembered what we've been talking about for months on this podcast about how I've been really really wanting to make progress on the novel and go back and rewrite my pilots And for the first time, I think since we started this podcast, I can say I did both of those things well. I just didn't, then something that dropped was unfortunately the way I get paid. But that's what happens sometimes. (laughs) That is what happens. So, um, which leads me to my first question for you. I asked you how your week was. Oh, I thought we were going right into the first segment, which is- No, that's perfect. You did it. You did it. (laughs) I just wanted to let everyone else know what we were talking about, (laughs) (laughs) which those were Laura's creative intentions and then versus what she actually got done this week. See, I think of my whole week as just being the manifestation of my intentions and reality, though. And that's perfect. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I had several creative intentions this week, but... I got like barely any of them done because, well, one, because of one really good thing and then, or a couple of good things and then one really bad thing. So I meant to finish uh, putting together, um, I'm writing this pilot right now for this show that I used to produce at the pit called church. And so we're trying to finish up the pilot and I didn't finish it this week because I had, I got a couple of auditions, which I needed to pay attention to and a callback. So I was really super excited about that. But then congratulations, thanks. I don't know how they went, but we'll see. And, uh, but then I (laughs) slammed my back into my kitchen table and I'm pretty sure I either bruised my rib or I cracked it. And I don't think I cracked it because I think I'd have to have a lot more pain medication than I do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it kind of like really messed up Thursday and Friday because then I just finished this season of cheer. So it wasn't entirely <laughs> bad, but because I couldn't Did do it. Did you anything. go to the doctor? No, I didn't. Mary Kate, um, you're being like the girls on cheer where they just yeah. disregard their injuries. The, the, it's the hard thing about that with, cause with a bruised rib or, um, uh, anything that happens with your ribs, they, you can't do anything about it. Really? They can't tape it in a certain way. At least you don't do that anymore. I talked to my mom who's a nurse and she was like, there's really nothing unless you're like vomiting or like, or there's signs of something else that's like really bad that's going on. Like there's nothing they can really do for you. So no. yeah, but I mean, I'm fine. I have my heating pad. I have my um, ibuprofen and just killing it up in here. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have anything stronger than ibuprofen? 
No, I don't think I need it. I mean, I'd rather get through this with ibuprofen than become like a, um, a drug addict. So (laughs) you think those are the two options? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, maybe it's time to, I think it's time to introduce our guest. Okay. Um, your guest, she's killing it on TikTok. We're like really excited to have her here. Please welcome Laura. Hi. Um, I've never said please welcome on a podcast before, but it's so in my brain from stand up <laughs> shows. And I was like, wow, this is yeah. as I was saying it, I was like, okay, so <laughs> I'm just prompting her and my co-host to clap. <laughs> no, I feel that. And thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I yeah, and now my stand-up instincts are kicking in. I want to go, oh my god, hey, how are you? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> happy you're here tip your servers everyone (laughs) (laughs) tip your servers is always a good one people don't always say that one but they should yes oh my god I I really want to actually do a tiktok on how hard it is to be a server at a comedy club because it's a very particular skill set it's not like being a server at a restaurant obviously like being a server in general is one of the hardest jobs Mm -hmm. um being a server at a comedy club it is so hard and there's no appreciation for it like there is none yeah because what sucks especially about that is a lot of the clubs have a two drink minimum so I'm sure they get a ton of guests who are really upset about that and resentful toward them even though they're not the ones who made up the rule they didn't believe me if the servers could make up the rules they'd be like I don't it's fine do whatever you want. No, because like no one's ever there for the food. No mm-hmm. one is everyone's there for the comedy. And the servers, not only are they needing to do their job as the servers, but they're literally trained to time everything out with the comedian's jokes. Because mm-hmm. the whole thing is they have to work around the performance to make sure that they don't distract. Because if they distract from the performance, that could get them into serious trouble serious shit. So they are the timing of how they come across when they answer questions. Like they have this down packed. It's so hard. Like I I just give them so much credit. Yeah. I know you guys both know this, but for anyone listening who doesn't do stand-up or hasn't been to a stand-up club, there's a time called the check spot, which is the only time that they're allowed to deliver, um, deliver the check to the tables And so that has to be timed in a very specific way, which is tough because you have to drop the checks to all the tables, which is a lot of tables usually within that time. And that's when they put up a comic who's either new or they just don't like as much. (laughs) Um, Or it's some, yeah, they don't like as much or they know who can handle it or Mm. it's like, dude, do you mind just doing the check spot? Oh my God. Because everybody's like in the process of figuring out, you know, hopefully what 20% is. And so everybody's doing math. They're not paying attention to the comic. It's always loud for some reason. I think the audience is always confused that suddenly a million checks are coming out at once. Yeah, and and the the servers at comedy clubs are treated so horribly and they're they're treated so poorly because the audience members are like I don't give a shit. I I care about the I'm here for the show. I don't care about you. And they do not treat the ser- they treat the servers so horribly. They treat no. the- they're mad at the servers because they have to pay a two drink minimum. So they almost never tip them. It's horrible. Um, it's horrible. It just really is. Um, and I, I do, I always try and, uh, support the, the servers as much as I can and just, you know, make sure I always check in with them. I always talk to them, always make sure I make, develop a relationship with them. Cause those are, those are your booze though. They are, they're amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. That's great. And that I feel like is great advice for younger like or would be comedians who might be yeah. listening. Well, and also just very selfishly for for also those younger comedians, because I've also seen this happen. Don't be shitty to those servers because you never know when one of those servers is going to end up becoming the next booker for that club. Oh, sure. yeah, I yeah. have seen that happen before, for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or they become the manager. They become a booker. Um, oh, there's also plenty of times where managers or bookers will go to the servers and go, how's that comic doing? And they'll let them know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, one, be a nice person to the servers first and foremost, because that's the right thing to do. And like, let's be good people. Let's, you know, let, let's put mm-hmm. good energy out in the world. Like that's what you should do. But also looking out for yourself business wise, those could be your future bosses. 
or they could have a huge impact on your, on your work, where you get past. So yeah, be nice to the servers. Be nice. Totally. I feel like this is turning into a server advocacy podcast. <laughs> I'm really happy about it because we've all been there. I don't know if you guys have, but I've definitely been there. So I am definitely advocating for their rights. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I mean, I've been a bartender. I've, I've been mm-hmm. a hostess. Um, server I've done all of it and it is something where it's unless you've done it you have no idea how grueling it is and it's like for me it's like we don't need the draft we need mandatory two years everyone has to be a server in my opinion (laughs) I I can't say I don't agree with that (laughs) I swear half everybody would be a better person for it right yeah, it would be a bit. It just it, everybody would get a little bit more humble, and I think that instantly the world would get better. Yeah, you're not allowed to go out to dinner until you put in your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there'd still be one or two assholes who are like, "I'm not going to tip because I was an incredible server." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not going to solve all the problems, but no, I oh yeah, I think it would solve a lot of problems, but. There's always that little variable person who's like, even when they know what goes into something, who's even worse about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's always those people. I was that for like so many years. So like, I know what I'm talking about and you're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That person exists. Uh, Yeah. I struggle not to be a bitter old comedian sometimes because I was always so annoyed when I first started of all these older comedians being like, Oh, you don't really get how much work it is kid. And I was like, yeah, I do. But it really is such a different process when you get into it than you anticipate. And I sometimes catch myself seeing something that I think is a faux pas that a new comedian did and want to be mad about it. And I'm like, well, you probably would have made the same mistake too when you were six months in or whatever. Yeah, I, it, it really is. It, it's, it, it, to me is it's a balancing act. Um, you know, re, like literally yesterday I was at an open mic um, and there was a new comedian. He just started off in August and he was saying some jokes and like, and I'm watching him going like, this kid has a point of view. Found out later he's 20 years old and his kid definitely has a point of view. He definitely like, no, there's something, there's something moving in there and I can see it, but he was telling jokes that were definitely like, Ooh, we're, mm-hmm. we're definitely over the misogynistic line. Like we're, we're going <laughs> to, you're going to lose half your audience. And afterwards he even asked, he was like, Hey, I just want to ask like the women in the room. Did you find my jokes offensive? <laughs> um, and it was like, and, and for me as, as a comic, who's like, I make my living off of doing stand up, It was like, Yes. As of right now, you're going to lose half your audience. I'm not saying don't do the joke. I'm not saying you can't do what you're doing, but you need to learn how to figure out that map way more. And so I gave him some comics. I'm like, these are the comics who know how to do that really well. Watch them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like, again, I'm not telling you not to do it, but I am saying that like, you need to decide who your audience is. And he's like, I want to be a comic for everybody. And it's like, okay, well then you do need to figure out a different way to reconstruct what you're saying. And one of the ways that I I mentioned to him is you need to, if you're going to go after somebody, you need to humble yourself. You need to make jokes at your own expense um, so that they don't think that you're just this like narcissist, like, you know, shitting on everybody. Um, but I was impressed that he even asked that he was brave enough to ask as like a 20 year old, like that was huge that like, he was like, literally like, I really want to know. And I thought that was really cool. That was really brave of him that he did that. Cause that's opening yourself up to like a bunch of strangers that you don't fucking know on the opposite end of it. Like I've uh, featured for, and I've opened for much older comedians and then, you know, I just, you know, mo- some of them are amazing and they're wonderful, but then I've also been with them and God, they're so bitter. And they're just like, these younger comedians are ruining comedy. <laughs> it used to be. And like, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And these woke culture. And I'm just sitting there going like, I'm not your audience for this dude. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not for it. I'm not he- like, dude, I'm so, like, you need the th- things change. Yeah. Things change. I'm sorry. This isn't what it was when you were 20. 
but shit changes and it is our job as artists to move and you have to move <laughs> do it so true and I feel like this is a great segue into <laughs> what is your origin Laura like where did you come from <laughs> I feel like I have a good story. Uh, and uh, my origin story is um, a long time ago, because it is long ago now, uh, in 1987, there was a, a woman struggling with fertility, struggling with fertility horribly. And, I have a guess about who this woman is going to turn out to be. Yes. <laughs> and she w- went through infertility for three years prior. She had two surgeries. She went through hormonal therapies. And then finally, after a full reconstruction, she was ovulating. But unfortunately, she was ovulating on a holiday weekend. So her clinic, her fertility clinic was closed and she was using donor conception. And so she went to her doctor and said, I need help. What are we going to do? Oh, my God. And the genius doctor in the 80s came up with the magic plan to say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We are going to get the donor to drop the sperm off at a hotel concierge. (laughs) You can then go pick it up and then go inseminate it with your husband. Okay. You know, I didn't know that people could inseminate outside of a hospital. I didn't, I heard the Sparky Baster before, but I thought it was a joke. No, it is not a joke. So 1987, my beautiful, bushy-tailed, brown-eyed mother, the hospital went to the not the hospital it's not the hospital went to the hotel went to the hotel <laughs> motel <laughs> holiday inn <laughs> picked up the sperm and she tries so hard to tell it so sweetly she goes laura i picked up the sperm i kept it close to me to keep it warm <laughs> and then i whisked off to your father's office and that's where you were made because the clinic was closed because it was a holiday weekend, but not for my father. My <laughs> dad still had fucking work. Uh. And my mom's like, yep. So we opened up the bag. Your father inseminated me and I put my legs up and I laid on your father's couch. And I'm just like, wow. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> so for me, that's my origin story because no matter what happened later on in life, it's like, guys, I was never going to be a doctor. I was never (laughs) a pharmacist. I wasn't going to be a legal assistant. I wasn't going to have a normal job. No, you were going to have a weird kid after that. That was what it was going to happen. That was, that was the opposite reaction. You did something weird. You got a weird kid. Like that's, you got me. That's why I do stand up. And now I profit off of that story. (laughs) (laughs) It's also like, wow, they were really dedicated to having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my mom is a stubborn gal. Um, <laughs> and I am too, and I appreciate it. Uh, but my mom was just fucking determined. Um, and so it happened. And I remember hearing the story and just the first time and just going like, wait, <laughs> hold on a second. There's so m- I have so many questions. And <laughs> The more I think about it, the more questions I have. Like, it's just never answered for me. Yeah, um, I also, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Why did they need to pick it up at a hotel? Why couldn't he jerk off in, like, his house? Why did he need to do it in a hotel room? Well, no, he, he jerked off in his house and then went and dropped mm-hmm. it off at a hotel. But, like, why does it need to be a hotel? Why does the hotel need to be involved mm-hmm. in this at all? Why can't they j- pick it up in Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> well, I think it had to be a third party location and it had to be at a concierge so that my mother could not meet the donor. Oh, oh. and then she so, could be like, so the doctor, I don't this guy. <laughs> so the doctor had to call the hotel and be like, I no, don't want to book a room. The hotel didn't know about this. I'm sure the okay. hotel, I'm sure they said, hey, here at concierge, you're going to have somebody pick this up. Okay. So you, Got it. you're allowed to just give a hotel a mystery package and say, wait for this person to pick it up and they just do it. 
it was the 80s it was very different (laughs) like I'm sure at that time he thought it was something innocent like cocaine like Mm, yeah (laughs) it was a very different moment in time this was pre 9-11 people just trusted each other with random bags at that moment um you know, this was before the fuck, what was uh, the arsenic and everything like very, mm. very different moment. But yeah, no, it's it, there's to me, it also is like if you could ask the donor to do this, I'm so, there's no reason why, Doc, you couldn't have had your clinic open. Like to me, that's always what I come back to is like you orchestrated this insane gymnastic event or you just could have opened up the fucking clinic. Like, it just, to me, doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because it sounds like he had access to her files and stuff, if he can even call the person. So that makes me think he's in the office. I, well, I think that he called a colleague. I think he called, well, because my my donor, I have found out, my donor is also an OBGYN. He, his office was like a block away from my my mother's infertility doctor's office. And he was only two blocks away from the hotel. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty, and they also, my mom's infertility doctor and my donor were residents at the same hospital. Mm. So I'm pretty sure they were colleagues. I'm almost hundred percent sure they were friends. So I'm pretty sure the doc was like, yo, can you do me a favor? Can you just drop? Oh yeah. Like, Hey man, (laughs) what's up, bro? Good time last night. Anyway. I mean, and especially at the time, I mean, it still happens now, but definitely during that time, doctors were swapping sperm left and right. Yeah. So where I got afraid the story was going to go was that the doctor was going to be like, well, I'll step in and make it the natural way with you. (laughs) But there's a big story that happened recently about that. I forget yeah. what it was, but um, yeah. No, well, I heard that story that there was a fertility doctor who said that he was letting patients pick from the big book of sperm, like I think is the normal uh-huh. process. But really, <laughs> he was just putting only his own samples into people. So this one guy, some people had done like 23andMe or whatever. And this one guy fathered like hundreds of kids because he was just always using his own. That's not one story that happens way more than people think. Yeah. That's not uncommon in the least bit. And that's the terrifying thing. I do a lot of donor conception advocacy. Uh That story, and and it's something where if you are donor conceived or IVF, Mm. it happens way more than you think. Um, Yeah, because how would you notice? Well, and that's the thing because, and that's why anonymity exists is because anonymity is not for the sake of the recipient parents. It's not for protection of donors. Anonymity exists so that the infertility industry can get away with anything that they want. Mm. Doctors have fathered so many children in, it's, they've, I mean, I know one of the Barwin babies. Um, It's terrifying. What's the Barwin story? I don't think I know that one. Oh, well, well, here, Mary, you, you, you look, you look pregnant with speech. (laughs) Like what, like what happens? Like if you end up falling in love with your brother and like, or your sister, and you don't know if it is that, like, you don't know that that's them. Siblings have been matched on Tinder and absolutely this happens. I'm somebody who easily has over 50 siblings. My fiance, he had to get, uh, uh, my fiance needed to have a DNA test to make sure we weren't related. Mm. Wow. So did you have to wait till a specific point in the relationship to say, Hey, I want to figure out for sure if you're not my brother, or was that like, I want to figure it out before we're even intimate thing? No, we, I mean, we were like pretty sure. Um, it was, it definitely, I, I think we didn't take test the DNA cause I don't think it really became a reality that we really needed to, um, until into our real relationship that we were just like, oh shit, this is something we really got to do. Mm-hmm. And then before we got engaged, we got tested just to see. Um, but the Barwin story is there's a infertility doctor in Ottawa, Canada, who was named the baby God. And from <laughs> the 1970s to 2014, uh, worked in infertility. And um, what ended up happening was he not only 
switched out the chosen sperm for his own in 17 pregnancies. So he made 17 children. <laughs> he also screwed up 80 other pregnancies at least. And that includes both donor conception and IVF. By just and going Russian roulette with whatever sample he decided to pick up, just picking up any sample. <laughs> well, and the I mean, it's awful on all ends, but it's really awful for the people who came in with their like husbands. Oh yeah, and I forgot you can do that. Please use his sperm, and he used his. <gasps> oh God! I'm sorry. That is, I do think it's horrible, and I don't want to take anything away from that. I also think it's funny, but like almost funny because it's horrible. Not not to like diminish it. Really evil. It really is. Yeah, it, it is very bad. And the but the worst part of it all is even after all of this, he's not in jail. What so I think wow. you might need to be a bigger megalomaniac narcissist than even a serial killer to take your own sperm and impregnate a bunch of people with it who yeah. don't want it. Oh, you have to be an insane narcissist to do it. Um, you you have to be crazy in order to do it. Um, to mm. think that they still don't know today the reason why he did it. But well, he, I mean, what else could it be besides an ego trip? Um, there's, there, there's. I, I mean, speaking to one of the 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 adults that he made, um, she was like, "We're not a hundred percent sure." She's like, "There's a couple of theories we have, but we don't know." But but there are some things. I mean, one of the one of the things that she said was, "I think he just wanted to know. He just wanted it to work. He just wanted it to be successful. So the ability to use his sperm would just guarantee success." Um, because he just thought his sperm was better than everybody's. I think it was. It seemed to get people pregnant, uh, but the answer is we I don't. I bet know. no one else's sperm could get people pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> only my sperm. I 100% think he's a narcissist. I completely think he is crazy. I do think he is because not only he was caught cheating at three different sporting events, including the Boston City Marathon. Somebody picked him up and drove him to the finish line. And after getting caught, he was like, I just wanted to feel the thrill of crossing the finish line. It's like, you yeah, that's a normal that thing run. to want, but you can't <laughs> just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and he wouldn't see anything wrong with it. Um, I mean, he had pictures of all of the kids in his office and would always go like, my children. Like he, this guy, <laughs> bonkers, but he's not in jail. He did lose his medical license, but all he's that's doing- good. But he's not in jail and he didn't pay any of the settlement. Yeah. And he could do Craigslist inseminations with a turkey baster if he wanted. So the guy to me, that is one of the most terrifying things is that he basically set up a pattern for other doctors to get away with this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he's not in jail. And it's so it's like you can if you want to feel the power, you can do it. You'll just lose your medical license and still have your freedom. <laughs> he's just enjoying early retirement. Apparently, he's having a very nice little life. <laughs> Uh, no, do any of his hundred kids want a relationship with him and like him? Not that I'm aware of. I think all of them are just so horrified. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. the, the one that I've spoken to has, I, I'm so impressed by like her sense of humor over it and by her attitude over it. She's just like, yep, this is what it is. And she said that basically when they're talking and they're all together, it's like, you know, she's like, we basically all have the attitude. If we don't laugh, we cry over it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's just terrifying. Um, but that story happens way more than we think. Mm -hmm. And it's something like, we think it's like this weird, like one of a kind SVU stories. And it's like, no, 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 it so isn't. It really isn't. It's something that I encourage every donor conceived person, every person who's done IV, everyone who's an IVF baby, go get your DNA tested. Go get it tested right now. Go, go do it. Go. Second great piece of advice on this podcast today. <laughs> Be good to wait staff and get a DNA test. Well, we're going to, um, that sounds like one possible struggle area but our next segment is actually like what are your struggles specifically in going on a more artistic path but yeah. it can be regular life in general because that impacts our our artistic life as well <laughs> mm -hmm. um for me I definitely get um uh I I struggle with like you know the ADHD levels of like you know I get overwhelmed I procrastinate um, I get 
Um, like I will get that hyper fixation and I will just go like crazy, but then I'll hit like a dead stop and then the magic's gone. And I'm like, oh no, I've, I'm back. I'm out. Where'd it go? Um, I also, for me, because I've always been, um, I've always been like the chorus girl, chorus girl, never, never the star. Um, I've never, um, I've never been ever anyone's ever first pick. So for me, it's always a constant battle and a fight for me to get my stage time. And it's always mm-hmm. a, like, I have to prove myself and that ends up eating my, and that ends up hurting me quite a lot because I'm at a point now where it's like, that's not the case anymore. I'm like, I've gotten over that. Like I've moved past that. I'm making a name for myself. I am starting to become a commodity and it's like, yes, I still have to always hustle, but it's like, I need to cool my jets a little bit. And I (laughs) actually just kind of being in the moment and sort of being okay. But there is so much of like that hurt girl still residing inside me who was always passed over, who was always told to quit, who was always told like, you're never going to be good enough. And there's always that girl still going like, no, but I need to prove it. I need to prove it. And it's like, sweetie, you've already proved them all wrong. Like you've already won. It's done now. Now just go exist and have your career. Yeah, I do think the chip on your shoulder can be really helpful in the beginning, but then you have to let it go and not that long because if you only use that to propel you forward then it just makes you so bitter and unhappy for no reason (laughs) yeah and it ends up well and and it ends up making you I mean having a being competitive can be great but then when you get competitive but then there is the toxic competitiveness where you get in your head and then you're like wait a minute but I didn't get as many compliments as that person over there they didn't like like and it's and then you just get in your head and you just it's bad. You end up caring more about being liked than being good. And you forget the point of it. You lose track of actually like, I don't know, being happy and it sucks. And that's where I get myself, I think in the most trouble. And that's where I can really self-sabotage me because I'm like, I have to prove myself. And it's like, for fuck's sake, Laura, like calm yourself. Like, just go do the job. Just go Mm -hmm. do the job. You did the work. Now just go do the job. And I think that at this point now gets me in the most trouble. Which brings us to our next part, which when you do feel like that and have to over, because that I totally relate to that because it's totally emotionally draining when you're like, no, you shouldn't feel this way, but I do feel this way. And like, uh, um, what is your saving grace? What's like the one thing in your life that's like, oh, because of this, like, it's, I just feel like I I'm able to like move forward and be creative. I really want to tell you that it's like, you know, I just have to, you know, think about this one thing and then I'm okay. And, and the, the honest answer is it's, it's my, it's my fiance. It really is. I want to say it's inside me and I have it. <laughs> and I have the answer. <laughs> I'm not, I'm like, "Mm -mm, that's not what the truth is. The truth of it is it's definitely my fiance because I get in my head. I have anxiety. I have a massive anxiety disorder. And when things aren't going exactly the way my brain imagines things are going to go, he always, he's there with me every single step of the way to calm me down and to make sure I get up in the next morning and I do the job and to make sure that like, I just do the work. I I have to give the credit to him that I'm just very, very, very lucky with that. I'm sure if I didn't have him, I'd figure it out. But at this moment in time, it's hands down. It's him. It's him saving my butt. Yeah, I totally agree with that, though, because I mean, sometimes you get like so like lost in this world of like wanting to succeed and get caught up in the competition and then like well what what's your life if you take that all away if you didn't have it and but it's like those people that are there and it I, I know that I struggle with that a lot too it's like okay would I rather have my husband or would I rather have like a big successful career which is going to make me happier which I think I always go back to like 
that love, that human connection. The reason why I do this in the first place and want to act and do comedy is because of human connection. And I have it right in front of my face and I take it for granted sometimes, you know? Everybody needs your dreams, whatever your dreams are. Mm -hmm whether it is to become a stand-up comedian or a writer or to be make the best cupcakes or to be the best mom, whatever your dream is, you definitely having a somebody or some people in your life to ground you and to remind you what really does actually matter, whether that's significant other or really close group of friends, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. uh, your mom, your uncle, whomever, you got to have that. It's important, which is funny because it brings us to our next topic, Laura. Which is ways we sabotaged ourselves this Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Why do I skip this one every single time? Why do I do that? Like a Freudian slip, like you're trying to avoid your own. Laura, <laughs> let's just pretend that that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> guys, I'm so excited. The next segment is what's your big crazy dream? If you could do anything in the whole world, what would, what would your dream day slash career look like? I would want, if I could have my dream, it would be, I would basically want half of Tina Fey's career and half of Robin Williams career. Ooh. Those are the two halves I want. I want Tina Fey's career in the sense of she produces, she writes and stars in amazing, amazing comedies. And I, in the work that she does as a writer, as a producer, I just, I, I love and I want to do that so, so, so much. And then for Robin Williams' career is he, you know, he does projects and movies that he absolutely loves and continues to do stand-up. And that is, I want, that is what I want. And that's what I'm heading for. And that's what I'm aiming for. But that is, those are my dreams. I I want to have my TV show. I want to have my stand-up specials and then be able to go do some movies. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's like, that's a great idea. And voice some genies. (laughs) It's shooting high and I'm very well aware of that, but you know, it's like, look, I got one life. I'm going to shoot high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I just like, I I haven't heard someone reference Robin Williams in terms of career for a really long time, but it's so true that like the man had a great career. He had an amazing career. I mean, if you think back to like, let's just start with Mork and Mindy. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, I used to watch it all the time as a kid. (laughs) Mark was a great role. Mark was so much fun. And then you think to all of his stand-up specials, and then you think to all of his movies, everything he's done between Mrs. Doubtfire, Flubber, um, Would Dreams May Come, um, Jumanji, all of the roles he did. Um, Yeah, so many different iconic ones. Usually an actor, if they're lucky, has one iconic role, but he had so many that he really defined and is remembered for. Absolutely. I mean, he, he had, he, he, you could tell he just did the fun move. He just did whatever, when he wanted to do something serious and dramatic, he did it. When he wanted to do a goofy kids movie, he did it. He got to do whatever he wanted to do. He just played. Ways we sabotaged ourselves this week. Would anyone like to start? I don't mind just throwing it out there. I, had one of my more depressed weeks this past week and I just let myself do it. Like, I know it's tough to find a way to phrase it because on one hand, it's like, it's not like I wanted to do that, but it, there comes, there's this like point in my brain where I have to make a choice to be active and like get something done during the day. And where if I let myself chill a little bit, then I just like can't even get anything done at all. And I just kind of let it ride for a little too long. And when you kind of let it ride, you know how things get harder and harder to do when you come off and you think you're like, well, if I watch one more YouTube video, I think that I might feel up to doing it, but then I watch one more YouTube video and then feel like I need to watch five more. Obviously. So yeah, I just let myself kind of sink into it 
a little bit too much this week, then was sad about it and then got worse because I was sad about it. But I'm bouncing, I'm bouncing back now. <laughs> what about you, Laura? Hi. How did you <laughs> sabotage yourself this week? Well, so this week, what I was trying to do was uh-huh. today I had a show that ended up getting canceled. Um, mm-hmm. but what I was leading up to, it's, it's, it's totally, it's going to get rescheduled. Yeah. But right now we've been trying very hard. My booker and I is to tape my submission for late night. And it's been very hard getting this tape Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. There's less shows right now. Um, It's just, it's harder to get booked Mm -hmm. and getting the tape is very, it's a very, very specific tape. It needs to be extremely high quality. It needs to look a certain way. No one can walk in front of the camera. We can't have any distractions. No one can call out in the middle of it. And it also has to be like, it has to be good. Like I have to, so there's just so many elements to it. And literally I remember like my, like I almost had it. And then for whatever reason, the camera just wasn't rolling. So there's so many problems trying to get my fucking tape. And it's gotten to the point now where I've had to, and we're reworking the set as well. And I'm sort of getting to the point now where I'm so desperate to get this goddamn tape. I'm pushing too hard. And like, I'm now going up on stage going, hi, my name is Laura. What's up? Oh my God, here's the jokes. And I'm <laughs> like intense about it and I'm not relaxing anymore. And I'm not going like, Laura, you've done this set for fucking years. Mm-hmm. You know what's like, what are you doing? Stop, honey. Like you're pushing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm getting way too performy with it. And I'm sabotaging myself because I'm so desperate to get it. Instead of relaxing, saying like, sweetie, if it, if it doesn't happen, you're going to have another show. It's going to be okay. And I'm struggling with that right now. So I'm sabotaging myself because I'm like, if I don't fucking get it, I'm going to lose my sh- chance. And it's like, no, 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 it's, it's, you're not going to, it's going to be fine. I do feel like you can't overestimate what a pain in the ass getting a stand-up tape is. And it- yeah. I've had to, I've had to do it before, not for late night, but for other things. And so stand up bookers in general, they want an uninterrupted tape for just for the audience. I know you guys know this from start to finish is only one single shot, no cutting, because they think if you're cutting, it means that you're not good enough to do a full run through. But the thing is, stand-up venues are really hard to film in just by nature. There's not a good place to put a camera and a tripod. And you need to try so many times that you can't just have a professional crew follow you around unless you're making a documentary and you're huge or whatever. So you have to try and balance your iPhone in this club And then iPhone footage isn't that great, but it's the best you can do. And then people walk into it all the time. Audience members will scream shit out and that ruins your tape. People will, people will always stand near it. Someone will knock it over. Um, You might like, just like any number of, if you, if you're not, if your delivery, like not even you were talking about being too performy, but like sometimes you just think this isn't the exact best delivery of this joke. Yeah. And every single joke is supposed to be the exact best delivery of the joke that yeah. you've ever done. It, it truly is a nightmare. <laughs> it definitely helps with those shows, though, when you're on a show where that is the purpose. Like this past year, I got asked to audition for the first time for the Just for Laughs uh, comedy festival. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very interesting show to be on um, because we're all doing six minutes. And it was specifically like you're not allowed to do crowd work. You go in, you do the set and you leave. So mm. every single one of us, you could tell there was just an energy of like, we all went up, we did it, we did the set and uh, and, and off. And, and it was just, it was a very, but it was actually kind of nice because the audience got so used to just us going, hello, this is my act and goodbye. And like, that was just it. That was what it was going to be. The host did some crap. Like he kind of did that energy. My show was hosted by James Mattern. If anyone has a chance to ever go see James Mattern perform, please go do it. He's the best fucking host available in the city. He's amazing. I always promote him any chance I can, but, um, that always helps. And I will still regret to this day that I did not get a tape from that show because my set, I was like, I was so proud of that set and I'm still pissed. I didn't get a tape. Yeah, it's getting a tape is way harder than people think. It it really is. It really is. And it's just, it sucks. Um, and right now, especially in COVID, like pre-COVID, I had significantly more shows and it would have not even been, it wouldn't have even been an issue. It would have been like, no uh-huh. problem. This, no problem. But it's just, it's, it's just, it's tougher right now. 
Yeah. And I find that the shows that I do have that I know are going to be warm, I do them frequently enough that then I also get in my head about doing the same set. Because if it's for a particular submission, you need to do like these very particular jokes. And I'm like, oh, these people have heard these jokes before. I want to at least put in a couple brand new ones, but you wouldn't want to submit any brand new material. I feel bad for that at like open mics, but like at the same time, I'm like, it's cause I, I love, I'm, I feel like I'm the one comic that I love fucking open mics. I love them. (laughs) I do because it's like when I'm doing a show that I'm getting paid for, I don't like doing new new jokes. Mm. I don't like to. And that's why it's like, I still, I'm going to utilize the open mics as long as I can, because it's like, I know that I can eat the mic. I can eat dirt and it doesn't matter. It's, Mm fine and I it's no pressure Oof, I can just throw whatever I want out and that's great and it's just like on a paid show I don't want to like really do that like new shit yeah I and it's like you know I know that these comics have heard these jokes I know that they have and I'm sorry but it's like at the same time it's the job yeah mm-hmm. job like we we have to mine these jokes your joke isn't like you could be working on a single joke for years and I have. <laughs> and that's how it goes. And you just keep finding it and it keeps changing and you replace stuff. And it's amazing that way. But um, yeah, well, I, I was going to share how I sabotaged myself this week. And I think I said it before, but I ran into my kitchen table. And- <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I have bruised a rib, I'm pretty sure, on lots of ibuprofen. Uh, hopefully my stomach doesn't start bleeding or something. <laughs> and bandage up your rib cage to just give it a little compression to make it feel better. Yeah, I, I, I should. I, and maybe I will tomorrow. I, I just have this like heating pad wrapped really tightly around it. I have a tendency of doing this to myself a lot. And I don't know if it's like some, I, I self-harm not on purpose quite often. You're an accidental self-harmer. <laughs> yeah. Even like the other day, like a week or two ago, I like got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I opened the door and I like slammed it really hard. <laughs> my face I've given myself a black eye by walking into a wall like in the middle of the night maybe you have bad depth perception I have that I I must I don't know yeah because that's what happened the other day I was we have this like high top kitchen table now and I was not paying attention and when I like walked towards it like I like went right into it sorry yeah (laughs) it's fine I'm fine So that's, that's <laughs> why I sabotage myself this week because then like that happened on Wednesday. So then Thursday and Friday, I had things I needed to do, but I was like, self-care, self-care. self-care. I need to take care of myself. <laughs> I'll get back to it on Monday, hopefully. I, well, I think we should just go to our last official segment, which is human time. I finally figured out how to say that. And it's <laughs> something we did this week that was just for fun not trying to monetize or anything like that. I just today made um, uh, homemade fries in the air fryer. Oh my God. I bought an air fryer like two weeks ago and I'm (laughs) obsessed with it. (laughs) Baking potato chips next. I'm so excited, but I love cooking and baking. That's my human time. It's no monetization. That's like my, that's my happy place right there. I'm very excited right now. I'm planning a really like big meal. I'm going to be making, I'm going to be making Coco Vin for the first time. I'm very excited. I'm going to make homemade strawberry shortcake. I'm making these like a uh, scalloped potatoes with like a uh, reblochon and roasted shallots. So I'm very excited yeah. getting that planned, but yes, baking and cooking are like, that's my, that's my human time. That's awesome. Mary Kay, do you have one? Do I have one? I always have human time. Oh, okay. I love human time. (laughs) (laughs) Except I don't know what I, I guess because I was injured, my human time this week became um, just finishing cheer because I really haven't like sat and had like a really lazy day where I just watch TV and 
since Christmas. And so I would say that was my human time. It was really sad. The episode about Sherry. I mean, if anybody watches it, it was like really depressing. I think that was, I, I, I just love, I feel like because of COVID it's like forced. I've always been like a big TV person, but I think now like I'm even more of a TV person <laughs> and now since COVID and like taking more acting classes and stuff like that, I really enjoy now like watching these actors act in these shows and like learning from them and paying attention to them. And so I feel like when I am watching television, it's enjoyable, but it's also I'm working. So I feel like, oh, I'm not wasting my time right now. I'm actually (laughs) doing both at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, I just love television. Anyways, (laughs) what's your new time, Laura? Well, on Wednesday, I had a dog trainer come over and work with Quake, my dog. She's still super afraid of everything, but I think we made a little bit of progress that was promptly undone because she's been so stressed about the snow today and yesterday. But I think that just having that amount of progress beforehand was still good. And it was nice to like bond with her and... Mm-hmm. feel like we're being on the right track. <laughs> Laura, hi. Uh, we would like to thank you so much for being here with us and telling us about your struggles and creative endeavors. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about that's coming up for you or you want people to pay attention to? Like you're Right now, uh, so my show schedule for February is still a little bit up in the air, but if you follow, but, but please follow me on TikTok at Laura High Five, L-A-U-R-A-H-I-G-H, then the number five. Also, same handle on Instagram. Instagram is where I update probably the most with shows uh, along with Twitter. Um, but if you want to watch my content more about donor conception, or you want to watch some stand-up clips, or you just want to watch a dumb sketch I make, please, 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 uh, follow. Um, that would be amazing because that is also, uh, what's getting me work and cast and shit, which means a lot to me. So thank you. So the more people that follow me, um, equals the more work that I get paid because, uh, we're in a world right now where having a following equals getting cast. It means worth to producers. Cause they're like, Oh, all right, well, you're, you're worth now something. So we can cast you, which sucks in a lot of ways, but that's the, that's the hand we're dealt. So yes, please, please follow me. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for being here with us. We really appreciate it. And other Laura, we'll see you on the next podcast. Hell yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for having me.